the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast uh, about potato blight. I'm Fiona Burnett, so I work for Scotland's Rural College, heading up the Knowledge Exchange and Impact. And with me today are colleagues, uh, Dr Phil Burgess, who heads up scottishpotatoes.org, and Dr Ruri Bain, who heads up our potato blight research. Um, So thank you both for, for joining me today. And... Yeah, I mean, potato blight's obviously a challenge every year. It's our, our major uh, issue to manage in the crops. Um, clearly, you know, weather's a huge feature in this. But maybe, Phil, you could start by just giving a feel, some context for how crops are, are looking this year. Um, they had a fairly tricky start um, with some of the early season weather. So just as background, how are, how are crops sitting at the moment? Crops are looking uh, quite good just at the moment. Um, it's been a very difficult season earlier on, I think, um, with some some really quite difficult weather for growers to contend with uh, during April, May, and, and probably into early June as well. Um, so, so we had a lot of growers um, wanting to plant their crops during April when we had a very long, prolonged period of dry weather. But it was during that time extremely cold um, and we would have regular conversations with growers um, discussing the merits of planting these crops at this stage into these cold seabeds. And and our general opinion was that actually there would have been better waiting for for a little bit of time. However, um, as as every potato season is different and and we, we get thrown different challenges, during May it became extremely wet. Um, and those growers who, who hadn't planted their crops found it very difficult to get crops into the ground virtually for the whole month of, of May. Um, and it wasn't until early the early days of June that, uh, in particular, some of our seed growers managed to plant their crops. So what we've had, is a, in effect, is a, a very prolonged planting period, which has ended up with, with a wide range of maturities of crops, which does make um, spraying and handling crops uh, are quite a, quite a challenge really since then um we the 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 cold wet weather uh during may did affect those early crops and if you drive around the countryside particularly in the angus area uh you can see some large areas of fields which are have emerged quite poorly and are still quite gappy with the crops although as ever in potatoes july we had a lot of sunshine uh, some some very good weather and um, they the crops uh, the fields themselves are now filling out so you don't see so many of these gaps in them but the um, but actually you know underneath there's quite a lot of variation in there as well so um, I think it, it's been a very challenging year uh, in terms of establishing the crops but uh, in in terms of potato blight actually uh, we haven't seen a huge amount in the commercial crops just yet which is a good feature. Ruri, is that kind of broadly what you're seeing in, in the trials that you've got as well? Um, th- this year's been quite quite different for us. Um, we, we've had predominantly dry weather, which is quite unusual for this, for this part of the country. Uh, norm- normally we're complaining this is far too wet. 
Um, it's actually been remarkably dry in terms of um, April and June, and this this hasn't, you know, coming to the coming at this from the perspective of somebody who wants blight in trials, then it hasn't been particularly favourable early on. It's beginning to change now, but you know we've not seen a, a huge amount of blight. You know, from the, the, the very start of, of, of crop development, as, as we as we normally see, um, you know, normally this side of the country is is very wet, and you know the blight gets going very quickly, and, and there's a really severe challenge compared with commercial crops. Um, we're probably on a par with you know comm- commercial crops normally uh, th- this particular year in terms of you know the the, the amount of blight. It's, it's just it's just beginning to develop now. Yeah. No, obviously you're, you know, you put the trials in Ayrshire deliberately to to get that warm and moist conditions. So yes, you're the only man in the country that's looking um, for, for lots of blight. Um, so Phil, you'd already said that, you know, that there's not been blight in commercial crops. Have there been many blight warnings? And, it, you know, how are people getting on with their sprays? Are they, and are there any standard approaches there? Well, it's, it's not to say that there's no blight in, in commercial crops. There's actually quite little blight uh, and probably less than, than I would have expected. Um, perhaps Rory might be able to help us on, on this. But during the month of July, we've had uh, uh, some, some warm weather, um, uh, some rain at times, um, not prolonged rain probably, but, but showers, etc. Um, and that has triggered quite a lot of uh, Hutton periods, which are the uh, the periods we use to to measure the, uh, uh, the the susceptibility of a crop to blight, um, uh, throughout July. Um, I mean, I checked uh, some of the areas on the on the new blight spy tool, and uh, you know, you're, you're seeing Hutton periods for probably uh, two thirds of the day during July in most of the potato growing areas. So in normal circumstances, you'd expect quite a lot of blight to be around uh, after a, a prolonged period like that. And we are seeing, uh, and well, I'm aware there's, there's four recorded cases uh, on the website, the Fight Against Blight website at the moment, although I'm aware of, of one or two others that are, are probably out there that haven't got as far as being recorded on the website yet. Um, but that's not a huge amount of blight at this time of the year to be recorded mm-hmm. there. Any kind of common features in sprays or any particular challenges to growers? Um, in, in terms of spraying, I think that um, actually what, what's probably been happening, uh, so along with that weather, um, growers have been able to, to spray crops relatively uh, easily within their sort of seven-day programme. So a, a normal grower would be spraying their crops every seven days uh, and adjusting the, the chemistry in each of those sprays to make sure they get a, a very good level of control. And in years where we see a lot of potato blight is often years where growers have been unable to get onto the ground on those seven day intervals where they might stretch them to eight or nine or even 10 days. Whereas this year, I think that, uh, that most growers have managed to on the seven day interval fairly well. And that use of chemistry has has meant that we've been able to keep on top of the disease. Uh, I mean, at one of the uh, uh, outbreaks of blight that I'm aware of uh, is within an organic crop. Um, 
uh, on the east of the country. And so they have not had any sprays at all to control blight. And um, that's, you know, it, it just goes to show how, how the weather conditions can allow the disease to take a hold uh, if, if conventional growers are not spraying properly. Yeah, and that's a challenging scenario, yeah. Ruri, are you able to say a little bit about, I mean, obviously the blight strains that we see change each season. So is there anything in the background of, of the type of blight that we'll be dealing with this year? And will that affect how you would suggest that people manage crops? I think there's nothing really new in terms of, you know, um, genotypes which would affect um, which fungicide products are selected. Uh, it's, you know, the, the, the story about 30, genotype 37A2 and not using fluazinam because that particular genotype is, is less sensitive to that particular fungicide. I think that's a well-established story now. Um, the, the changes that have taken place in the genotype um, genotypes that are present if we look at what happened last year, then 37A2 did increase a bit. That's the one that's less sensitive to, to fluazinam. 36A2 is probably the newest of the ones that we have in the country. And the concern about it is not really, well, there's, there's no concern over fungicide insensitivity. It's really just to do with its level of aggressiveness, how pathogenic it is. And, you know, the concern is that it presents more of a challenge in terms of just keeping on top of the disease because it is um, particularly, a, a, it's thought to be particularly aggressive. There, there's a bit of a gap between conception, you know, picked up from what's happening, you know, in the field, uh, in commercial practice, in, in other countries as well, and actual testing. So there's no there's not a huge amount of data to suggest that it's particularly more aggressive, but there's a lot of circumstantial evidence. And so I think it's it's quite wise to be to be cautious about that particular genotype. Um, you know, certainly at our trial site in previous years, we have had, you know, very, very um, severe epidemics where 36A2 has been present. So I, th I think there is something there that that's a, a genotype to, to, to watch out for. So no, no real major changes in, in terms of the genotype. Um, 13A2, um, which has been around for a very long time now, it's it's really you know fading away, really, um, largely disappearing. Um, some people say, well, you know, maybe we should bring back phenylamide products. Um, I don't think, I don't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't back that um, because I think that's, you know, it, it's probably not going to go away completely. And, you know, applying phenylamides will fairly quickly select the, the resistant 13A2 back into the population again. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I don't think that's a, a step in the right direction. We have, you know, we, we've got other chemistry now, which, um, you know, fits the bill very well. So in terms of fungicide resistance management, then, are the messages really pretty much the same? You, you would still advise mixtures where you can and, and getting as much diversity into a programme, that, that advice still stands? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, all, all, you know, single alternation, 
of different frat groups, uh, mixtures of frat groups. I mean, there are lots of co-forms anyway. And Mm -hmm. keep using Mangazeb as long as it's available. (laughs) Um, You know, the the end date for Mangazeb is a bit hazy. Um, and obviously there are some supply issues with some products containing Mangazeb. So, but I think you know my, my advice would be to keep keep using Mangazeb as much as possible for its um, resistance management uh, contribution. We're we're actually involved in a, in a project at the moment. Uh, this, it's in its third year. Um, it's a joint project project with ADAS and uh, JHI, look, looking at. Uh, what is actually the best way of managing resistance? So it's comparing, um, you know, alternation, mixing, tank mixing of you know different frat groups. Also comparing, you know, Mankazeb as the as the uh, resistance management partner compared with all alternatives. Um, so there, there's going to be a lot of really useful information coming out of that. Uh, project fairly soon fairly soon um not nothing's been released so far because it is quite complex and you know the the group want to wait until there is uh you know all the data is in so that you know we come up with a a robust uh you know message for for the industry that sounds yeah i mean really necessary because i mean you alluded there to the potential loss of of the multi-site mancaseb so yeah, that type of information's vital. Phil, do you want to add something to that? Yeah, I, I, it's it's very interesting the uh, the Mankazeb uh, story as we go forward for growers. It does make the whole selection of fungicide programs more complicated when we start to look at uh, at situations where we haven't got the Mankazeb in, which which has tended to sort of provide a, a background uh, control. One of the issues that I think we're going to see develop in the future is that um, we might have a, a new disease, or well, it's not a new disease, but a, a new problem that 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 develops more frequently. So we also have early blight caused by Alternaria, um, which my feeling is that uh, the use of Mancazeb on nearly every potato crop that, that we grow as, as a background has kept levels of that disease quite low. Um, it's not generally much of a problem in Scotland, but it is seen much more frequently uh, in the Netherlands and Belgium, Northern Europe, and, and probably into Southern England as well. Uh, and you just wonder whether, uh, as time goes on and we use less Mankazev, whether we might see more of this, which um, is going to also require a rethinking of, of fungicide programs into the future. So. So as ever, it gets more complicated. So something else to worry about. Thanks, Phil. Uh, Rudy, <laughs> do you want to comment on that? Yes, I, I would just I'd just like to to to, to back that up completely. Um, I, I think I think it's a problem who, whose day is is coming um, because a, a lot a lot of factors are favouring early blight. You know, the trends in potato production, less nitrogen. Um, you know, warmer temperatures at times during the growing season, crop stress, all these things are pointed to this disease becoming more of an issue. And the, the, the problem is that if we, if we look at the, the chemistry available to control late blight, then we've got quite a few different, you know, frac groups. So resistance management is, is in theory relatively easy, very easy, in fact, if, if you've got something like, you know, 10, 11, 12 
different frack groups to choose from. Um, the situation with early blight is really the, the complete opposite. It's at the opposite end of the scale. We, we've got three frack groups um, to, to draw from, and we already have resistance issues to two of those. So we're not, you know, the, the loss of Mangazeb has a has a huge is potentially going to have a huge impact on resistance management um, in terms of early blight control. So to- totally back up what what Phil's saying there. Yeah, no, that's a concern, and obviously those the frac groups that you refer to, the fungicide resistance action committee groups, which really indicate when chemistry is genuinely different and you can get diversity in. Yeah. What did you say there, Ruri? So there's only three at the moment, three groups of chemistry effective. And is one of them Mancazeb? So you would be left with two? Ah, oh, no. Sorry. sorry. Um, if, you, if you include Mancazeb, it's four. Uh, um, but, but, but basically, it's the QOIs, SDHIs, and uh, triazoles are, are, are the three groups with you know um, strong activity as long as you don't have insensitivity or resistance but but there is mancazeb as well so sorry i should have made that clear that you know once, once mancazeb goes we, we will be relying on on three months of action yeah no three or four it's still not a, a high number is it yeah okay so that's really going to make blight management and early blight management in future seasons a, a much more complex issue okay so, I mean, we were going to talk about, you know, um, any potential pesticide losses, fungicide losses. So Mancazeb's clearly a concern. Are there others that you're worried about, Ruri? Um, not not overly concerned at the moment. I, I think as far as late blight is concerned, then, you know, we're, we're reasonably well off and we could probably cope with, you know, the, the, the loss of one or two, whatever happens in the future. Um, I think what's encouraging is for the industry as well is that, you know, that there, there is new chemistry in, in the pipeline as well. Um, you know, um, potassium phosphonate is, is actually a multi-site active ingredient. And it's, you know, we, we know that it's got good activity. It's not approved yet, um, but it's, it's got good activity against late, the late blight pathogen. So, you know, that, that's a very positive step, um, particularly the fact that it's multi-site. So, you know, I, I think it's it's not all doom and gloom. And, you know, there are there are, there are um positive aspects that we can that, that uh, you know should should encourage us. And you've got some of these new products obviously in your, your trials. So you you're testing them alongside existing chemistry, is that right, Ruri? Yes, aha, uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. I mean pro- probably our main activity is testing, you know, the, the, the efficacy of fungicides. Um under severe blight pressure. So really what, you know, standing back and and looking at that, um, a lot of it's done, you know, commercially in confidence. Uh, But I think think for the industry and for growers, what's particularly interesting is that, you know, the, the direction of development is that the fungicides are becoming more and more and more effective. You know, the the, the fungicide manufacturers have done a great job over the past couple of decades of producing better and better, more effective fungicides. And at the same time, uh, the environmental impact of those new active ingredients is uh, is less than you know the older materials that uh, were are, lo- are losing their approval. So you know that that's a very positive 
um, positive direction for things to be moving in. We, we, so we do a lot of you know, fungicide testing, uh, new products compared with old, um, but we do we do other work as well. You know, we're, we're doing IPM work um, because I think everybody now recognises that you know over reliance on fungicides, even though they're very good, is not you know necessarily the way forward. So we need to be trying to integrate cultivar resistance. We need to be looking at decision support systems as well to optimise timing and you know fungicide inputs. Um, so we, we we're looking at we're looking at all these things at, at the moment. We're also looking at non-conventional control methods. So it's not just fungicides we're looking at. You know we're looking at um, biological fungicides. Um, we're looking at elicitors, which may have a contribution in the future. Um, you know they're not they're not about to knock fungicides off off their pedestal um, <laughs> yet. But, you know, it's early days for that type of technology. And, you know, in, in the future, they may, they may contribute a lot more. So we're, we're, we're doing, you know, we're doing quite, quite, quite a lot of work. Um, as I, you know, I mentioned before about the resistance management work to come up with, um, you know, guidelines that, that the industry can, can use. And the, the other thing that we're doing is um, producing, we're still producing Euroblight ratings um, which basically are an, an independent, objective rating for different fungicides to control both leaf blight and tuber blight. Um, so that if you know growers, agronomists go to the Euroblight website, they, they can see what the, the decimal rating is for a fungicide, and they know that that is you know a value that's been derived only from a standard set of trials. So it's it's. You know, it's a hundred percent objective and independent information. So we're still we're still doing a bit of that. You know, so the table is getting bigger and bigger uh, each year. So I think I think that's useful too. Yeah, no, that um, independent ranking. I mean, everything looks brilliant in the adverts, but it's really good to have that um, Euroblight rating on on products. And that's really interesting that you're starting to integrate biologicals and elicitors and other approaches and a more integrated approach and we're seeing that obviously over other crops as well um you know with that trend that yeah we're fortunate with blight we've got that great diversity of of actives that people can choose from which again contrasts with other crops so you know i give similar advice in cereals about using a diversity of chemistry but actually when you're down to you know three main groups it's quite hard to genuinely um, work diversity into into programs so yeah there's a few things there to be to be cheerful about um yeah Ruri, do you want to add anything to that before i move on to phil i was going to ask phil how much of the integrated piece is being taken up in practice but any final thought on that yeah, so it was just a quick point to add to that, um, that, you know, it's it's very easy just to think in, in terms of, you know, frac uh, modes of action. Um, but, you know, one one reason for using IPM, uh, you know, cultivar resistance specifically, is that, you know, cultivar resistance is essentially another mode of action. So 
as well as helping with control in general, you know, a more resistant cultivar would would um, help control the disease. Um, that that level of resistance also helps resistance management. Um, there's been some some really good work done done by ADAS pro- proving that. Um, so you know, that, I think that's an important point that you know people in the industry should be aware of. Yeah, no, you're quite right. Before you get as far as the chemistry, it's everything else you can do to re- reduce the risk. And I think as well, I mean, we know that varietal resistance is something that, you know, people are comfortable picking up in, in practice as well um, across the crops. You know, other bits, biologicals and elicitors might seem, you know, new and risky and require kind of experience to get used to. But varietal resistance is a, in many ways quite a, a comfortable and easy integration. But Phil may disagree. Phil, what do you think? What's what's going on in practice? Well, I think well, uh, one of the things I would just like to say is that the, the Euro Blight ratings, as an advisor speaking to growers, uh, the Euro Blight rating table is uh, a fantastic resource that, that allows us to go and, and see the characteristics of, of different fungicides. And then when you, if you can start to combine those with the different uh, frac groupings you can you can then from a point of, of real knowledge actually build up a, a program for for growers so uh, so i'm really keen that uh, that that kind of work carries on into the future ipm is is really quite a difficult one for potatoes or a potato growers and blight because um we we are very sensitive to blight in our potato crops we like to see crops that that have no blight in them and, and the reason for that usually is because uh, even quite small amounts of blight on the leaves and foliage and stems of a crop can work its way down to the tubers. And uh, if you get uh, having foliar blight is one thing in that it reduces the green leaf area, um, can potentially reduce your yield um, of, the, of the potato crop. And to a certain extent, you know, nobody wants to lose any yield, but to a certain extent you can live with that. But if you get tuber blight, um, where the, the, the spores work their way down to the tubers and infect them, um, then you're into a whole different ball game. Because if you lift those potatoes uh, infected with blight and try to store them for, for just about any length of time whatsoever, then you can end up with a very sticky mess, and a very smelly mess in your potato store. And that in itself becomes very, very expensive as well in that you, you know, you need to either market that crop very quickly, very possibly to some kind of secondary market rather than the primary market. Or if you have to store it for any length of time, then the amount of uh, storage energy uh, and air movement, etc., that you need to put into that store can be considerable. So when you start to talk about uh, IPM, um, which... uh, is 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 you know it's really where we need to be moving in the future. It has to understand that that we really don't want to see any or very very little blight in our potato crops. So um, so growers are very keen to to develop IPM. Um, they 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 are, do look at the the varieties they're growing more now than they did in the past. Um, but they are, I think, struggling to be able to implement that uh, those different varieties into different programs of blight control as well. So if you're a potato grower who has perhaps four or five different varieties, perhaps spread over 10, 12 fields as a, you know, a fairly large potato grower, um, and you need to spray those crops every week, 
then it's quite difficult to to start to uh, develop different programs for different fields or even different parts of fields based on their um, their resistance rating, especially when in the back of your mind there is the fact that actually you don't want to see any blight in any of those crops at all. So we're, we're very keen to do it as, as an industry um, and I'm hoping that Rory's going to be able to sort of produce more information in the future that gives us a little bit more confidence in being able to implement these things. Yeah, I mean, the risks, as you highlight, are huge if it goes wrong. So that feeling of getting the information that builds confidence in the scenarios where we can perhaps use less fungicides are really key. And you alluded there to your your work on, on that, Rory. Do you think that additional information and confidence will start to build? I, I think I think it will. Um, it, it's, it's a complex area. Um, potato blight is is difficult in terms of IPM, um, simply because of the you know as Phil has already said you know the tuber phase of the disease. Um, but you know, for for example, I mean, cultivar resistance can reduce the risk. Of tuber blight hugely. I mean, some some of the Scottish government funded work we've done over the past three four years has, has shown that you know varieties that just have moderate levels of foliar blight and tuber blight resistance um, can actually reduce. I think I think in the best case it reduced the risk of tuber infection by a factor of forty. Um, so so there is scope in there um, to to take advantage of cultivar resistance but there needs to be there needs to be a support system in place and that doesn't exist at the moment um, and the key the, the key requirement is is confidence in the resistance ratings because they do change so there needs to be up-to-date information on the varieties that growers are growing so that they have total confidence that there isn't a genotype lurking that's going to change their variety from being sufficiently resistant to quite susceptible. And I think to go ahead without that network um, of support would probably be risky. So there's a lot of work, I think, to be done on the potato blight IPM front. It, it, It is a challenge. Um, and simply because of the, you know, the financial impact of getting tuber blight. Yeah, and it, and then if you add into that the um, the fact that that the varieties of potatoes that we grow as an industry are are governed by our markets, um, and so there's an, still an awful lot of King Edward grown and Maris Piper because that's what customers and, and supermarkets want. Um, and the, to change that variety mix is uh, is is another challenge. is not just a challenge in terms of the potato blight control we might add to you, but it's a challenge in making sure that we we bring the the customer base with us on on those kind of changes as well. Um, so one, one of the things I'm involved with is working with a group of organic growers who have lost all their control measures for blight over the last number of years. Uh, and so we are looking at, uh, we've got some trials um, in the east of the country uh, where we are, we've planted uh, 24 different varieties um, with higher levels of, of foliar and tuber blight resistance. And the idea behind that is not just to uh, 
to see how they grow and how they perform, but also to involve the, the, the customer base in coming along and understanding the requirement to change those varieties that they're, they're selecting for their, their shops and markets, etc. Um, so uh, from, from that point of view, in the east of the country, I'm slightly disappointed we haven't got a little bit more blight, but um, perhaps it'll, it should come over the next few weeks, I think. You know, there's some really big issues there and, and some real challenges for the future, but that's a good feature as well, Phil, that you know, we'll need to take our, our markets and consumers with us in this. Um, maybe just to bring us back to, to the here and now, um, the I mean, just a few points on any particular messages to finish this season. So maybe starting with you, Ruri, any kind of key pieces of advice or thoughts that you would want people to be thinking about, um, you know, as they conclude their blight programmes for this year? Well, I, I think the key thing is, you know, at, at this stage of the season is pr- protecting the tubers, um, you know, which... which there's there's nothing really too new to say about that. It's basically, you know, maintaining the fungicide protection until the home is 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 completely dead. I think that's particularly important. Uh, and the the other thing is, you know, to to be particularly careful about you know home regrowth after after desiccation. Um, because you know, young, actively growing foliage, um, you know, the, the the grower thinks that the crop has been desiccated and you know all, all the stem and leaf material is dead. But um, you know, regrowth can be fairly rapid, and it's it's quite susceptible to infection by blight. And you know, all all the, all the good work of the whole season can be undone by you know harv- harvesting a crop which has um, got blighted, uh, you know, regrowth. Uh, you know, because all it does is smear inoculum onto the tubers at harvest time, and that can be a, a complete disaster. So it, it's it's all about really it's all about protecting the tubers between now and uh, between now and the crop being completely desiccated and and a bit beyond to to make sure that you know growers are are harvesting you know blight free blight free crops at the end of the season. That's great. And uh, Phil, any final thoughts? from you um i think uh so, so just to back up rory says really that uh, it, it it's not over till it's over um and one of the things for particularly for seed growers uh who are beginning to burn down some crops just now um is that it the the, the there's also been changes in the way that we uh, destroy the home of potato crops um at the end of the season and that has also made it more difficult um, because, well, back in the day, uh, those of us who are a bit older will remember crops being sprayed with acid. Uh, and that had a fun, fabulous job in killing off the horn uh, instantaneously almost uh, and reducing all our blight problems to nothing uh, with a single spray. But these days, uh, a mixture of mechanical and, uh, and, and uh, herbicide type chemistry to control the, the home growth does mean that, that sometimes we do get this secondary growth, uh, which can be susceptible to blight. And from a seed grower's point of view, it's also very susceptible to virus as well. Um, and there's still plenty of potential at this time of year for, for both of those problems to, to manifest themselves in a regrowing crop. For ware growers, um, they've perhaps got a, 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 a challenge as well in that the, the crops are, some of them are, are quite late because of the late planting we had earlier on. The season is perhaps going to progress a little bit longer towards the end of the season. And they're going to have to 
continue their blight controls uh, a little bit longer. And it's quite difficult to see potato blight in crops that are beginning to senesce, uh, get battered by the wind, etc. And you can end up with situations where there are sort of um, lesions of blight sort of sitting under the canopy. Um, and if we get a sort of some humid, damp weather um, with still some warmth in it to the, to the beginning um, half of September or so, there's still the potential for blight to occur then. So uh, it's important that the programmes are kept right up to date, right to the very end. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, no, that's a good point to, to finish on. And as ever, we're kind of in the lap of the gods when it comes to to weather. So thank you both so much. I mean, the, there's lots to go at with blight and, and some good um, features in, in the new chemistry that's coming. So that that was a really interesting session. Thank you both. And thanks, everybody who, who joined us. Um, and um, all the best with, with a good harvest. <laughs>